This is a Federal News Network podcast. Good government and confidence a big government is capable of good performance both take a lot of work and commitment. But my next guest, after spending 24 years in federal public service, spent another career researching, writing about, and pushing for governmental excellence. He's just retired from his perch as senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government, John Kamensky. John, good to have you on. Well, thanks very much, Tom. And you are now retired as we speak here. (laughs) And so given everything we've seen in the last couple of years, the political chaos, the spending that seems to pile on debt evermore, some of the problems with programs that have rolled out as a result of the pandemic. Do you still have faith that big government can sometimes get it right? Yes, absolutely. And it's not just big government, it's government workers being able to get their jobs done. Yeah, I mean, my impression through all of this, I guess maybe having done 8,000 interviews in this particular job in a long career, is that there are so many great people in government that we overlook and we talk about the federal workforce as a big blob, but it's really the people that make the difference, isn't it? Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm hoping to do in retirement is to follow through on an initiative I've been working on as a team with others over the past year to improve management quality at the frontline level. There's been initiatives over the past 20 years that have been largely top-down, and this would be something that would be bottom-up and that would be owned by, for example, senior executives through the Senior Executive Association and others. So I'm really looking forward to continuing to be helpful. And when you say frontline, what do you mean? Well, it's the largely the frontline units that are out in the field, because that's where 85% of the federal workforce is, and they've never been really engaged in president's management agenda per se. They do all the delivery work and dealing with citizens and challenges out in the field that a lot of people don't seem to appreciate. And over the past couple of administrations, past few, I would say, we have seen not so much to call it a trend or a new way of operating, thank the Lord, but we have seen blending of politics. (laughs) into the work that is standing civil workforce types of non-political issues. And I'm not going to name names, name presidents, and name programs, but let's suffice it to say we've seen it from both parties. And do you think this is an unfortunate trend, or is it something that just seems to happen from time to time and we just have to maintain vigilance? Well, I think it's just something that happens from time to time. And the notion of a non-political workforce is a very powerful, fundamental element of our democracy. It's not just the policy politics of it. Anything else? Well, I think that the important thing is that things such as conducting the census and delivering the mail and being able to have nonpartisan drug approvals and research and science are all very important elements of creating trust and faith in the federal government. And we've also seen toggling back and forth now for several administrations in policy toward the federal workforce. Even within Title V, there's a lot of discretion the executive branch has. And man, oh man, have we seen it go from one almost extreme to another almost extreme. Now we're back again. And is that healthy over the long term? And do you see a way to maybe kind of temper out that instinct of a new administration wanting to completely reverse what the other one did, which was a reversal of the one that before that did, et cetera, et cetera, going back years? 
Well, one of the things that I was a big champion of in reinventing government was creating more frontline authority and flexibility and allow them to be empowered to get their jobs done. And I thought that that was because of central rules, etc. And the last administration gave me pause about that as to how do you go about doing it. I think that you can empower, but you have to be careful of not doing it in such a way that you trash the merit systems principles and protections for civil servants. We're speaking with John Kamensky. He retired just a few days ago as senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. And of course, you did work in government for 24 years. You were at the GAO and uh, just remind us the other places. Well, I worked at the Government Accountability Office at the time. It was a general accounting office and worked on the development of what's now called the Government Performance and Results Act and then wound up working for the Clinton-Gore administration's Reinventing Government initiative in the 1990s. And then from there, I wound up being part of the Office of Management and Budget and became a political appointee after being many years of career. And then at the end of that administration, I needed to leave government. And that's how I wound up at a wonderful perch at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. And we've almost forgotten about the National Partnership for the Reinvention of Government. That was a signature initiative of the Clinton administration. I think Al Gore led the detail there. And you mentioned that discretion. We heard about, I think, the famous case cited by then Vice President Gore was the ridiculous regulations about procurement of ordinary things. And there was a long page of specifications for an ashtray. Back then, the government had ashtrays in the offices still. And what it took, you know, to become a government-worthy ashtray. And that kind of touched off a lot of thinking about getting away from so much of the lack of discretion for ordinary things. And I also recall the spirit that that touched off in the career federal people. They really like that. How do we revise that kind of, yeah, we're here to really change things for the better. Can that be revived at this point in history? I think so. And with the bold initiatives that President Biden has already undertaken and what government does, but also how government should do it with the very encouraging support of the importance of the civil service, I think it's just wonderful and is a breath of fresh air for civil servants. And I think it's up to uh, the incoming political appointees to make it real. And I think that there, there's a real opportunity with some of the people that have been appointed. I'm just saying this could be a real shift in trend and that civil servants can be, I think, very proud again of being part of government service and solving big problems. And there's a third element between management or a fourth element. There's management, there's the administration, there's the political appointees, and that is the federal unions. What do you think is the proper role for them? Because that's something else that gets toggled back and forth from a policy standpoint. Interesting thing about unions is that they are not necessarily the enemy. I was quite skeptical going into reinventing government about unions and then found that they became our allies and that they were the ones that were bringing issues to us that weren't micromanagement. They were uh, significant issues that would, we wouldn't have been able to learn about otherwise. And they were very supportive with enlightened leadership like John Sturdivant and Bob Tobias and others and moving things forward because they wanted their employees to be empowered their members to be empowered, to be able to make good decisions that actually help citizens on the front line and not be tied down by micromanaging rules and and mother may I from uh, having to go back to Washington to get small issues resolved. 
Any other people or initiatives from your long career here that uh, stand out in your mind as something to kind of point to as as the great moments? One of the things that I found personally gratifying is when I was at GAO working on the development of the Government Performance and Results Act, I wound up visiting other countries that had similar kinds of initiatives. And one of the things that I saw in Australia sparked my imagination. And I don't know how we would do this in the U.S. government. And then I was recruited to work for Vice President Gore. And I went, aha. And it was to designate the deputies in each agency as the chief operating officer. So there would be a focal point for it. Now, in other countries, it was oftentimes a career person, but in our case, it's political. And then to convene them as what we're now calling the President's Management Council to address issues that reach across agency boundaries. And that was never formalized into law. It was always done administratively. And yet for the four past presidents, it's been kept in place as a valuable tool. And now the role of chief operating officers has now been put into legislation as part of GPRA Modernization Act back in 2010. But the President's Management Council has always been a personal initiative of each president as a memorandum, not as a statutory required. And it's been something that every administration has found of value. And speaking of statutory reform, there has been a generalized feeling among members of Congress, at least those that express it, among some of the people that watch all of this going on, the the development of the federal workforce, that relative to the Civil Service Reform Act back in 1978, it might be time for a relook at authorities, situations, relationships under Title V. But yet Congress never seems to really muster the whatever it takes to get something done there. What would you like to see from Congress that could help civil service and help excellence in government as we go forward? Well, there was a report that the National Academy for Public Administration released fairly recently that begins to uh, address that. And I think part of it is it doesn't necessarily require statutory action. There's a lot of flexibility in existing law that could be taken advantage of and leadership, not just within the Office of Personnel Management, but within each of the agencies working together collaboratively through, for example, the Chief Human Capital Officers Council can get a lot done that furthers the issues that have been raised as concerns by civil service advocates. So a lot more federal ashtrays yet to be uh, gone after. They will be broken, yes. John Kamensky retired a few days ago as senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Thanks so much for joining me. And thanks so much for the invitation. I listen to your program every morning as I was driving into work, and I may wind up having to listen to recordings of it from now on. Well, you can also buy a radio for the house. Ah, it's not the radio. It's sleeping in. (laughs) All right. Well, good. We'll make sure you get it one way or the other. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then 
translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, I've led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. 
And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.